Hey everybody, this is Max. Before we start this week's episode, I should tell you that we had some trouble with one of our microphones. We still got everything, but the audio is a little weird on this one. Thanks for running with us. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Noel. And I'm Jackie. And this week, we'll be talking about the riots at the Rites of Spring, Angel Glow, and the adventures of Ernest Shackleton. The Shacklington men of the Antarctic who shackled himself to history. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Well put, Max. Well put. Uh... So, I believe, Noel, you're going to start us off today? Yes. Start off about a highly speculative uh, mix of history and science today. Uh, a story that uh, very likely was factual. Then it became folklore because the science at the time could not prove it or explain it. And then, more recently, uh, evidence has come to light of why it could have been possible. Nito yes. Burrito. Yes. So, story begins uh, at the Battle of Shiloh during the Civil War. Um, so this battle was a particularly brutal one uh, in that it went on, I believe, all day and night. And what happened was um, they did not have, like, people got badly injured all over the place. And they did not have enough. Medical units to be able to move all these people to hospitals. And then mean neighbors didn't want you to keep the dog? Yeah, because they didn't want people to be like, hey, this dog Shiloh's been barking all night and it's got all these open wounds. Yes. You know. (laughs) Yes, a little known fact about the Battle of Shiloh. Fought by dogs. Fought by dogs. Against dogs. For dogs. With dogs. With dogs. Men can be dogs. Men can be dogs. War dogs, really. Men can be giant... Giant men in dog costumes shooting at each other for hours. It was the North versus the South versus the Furries. What did we die for? Um, So, lots of injured people were just lying in in and around the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And in and around that battlefield is a swampy, messy wetland. Especially in April when things are beginning to thaw out and it's just a horrible... Muddy mess. So, you can imagine, probably not too fun to lie there for several days, um, just waiting to die pretty much, just like waiting to... Uh, Slipping really? lower and lower into the swamp. Like, yeah. no one would come and try and collect the not dead? Well, no, they were. It was just the uh, the volume of people that had been uh, injured was like so much that they were moving these people out over like a couple of and, of course, the sheer amount of swamp ass that resulted made it pretty unpalatable. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, hard to do the goofs on the uh, dead, dying soldiers just festering in the swamps. But, um, so some of them, when night came, looked down at their wounds and were supposedly seeing a faint, like, greenish glow over their wounded areas, which would naturally probably disturb a lot of people. Um, but what happened was... Afterwards, the doctors and medical staff 
moved out a lot of the people from these swamplands. And what they noticed is that there was a much higher survival rate for the people who had seen their wounds glowing in the night uh, than people who had not. And not to say that everyone survived, but they just saw a lot faster recovery rates, a lot faster uh, or much better mortality rates. Much better, much worse. What would you say? Much worse mortality rates. Better Depends. mortality rates. Do you want people to die? Yeah, do you want people to die at all? Uh, <laughs> well, for the sake of this story... I think higher yeah. or lower would probably be the... the um, you know, impartial yeah, way to say that? way. Better or worse mortality rates implies you have some stake in these men's lives. Yeah. I do not. So higher or lower? Huh. Higher mortality rates. No, lower mortality Lower rate. mortality Wait, rates. you have no stake? You have did no you st- want the... Who did you want to win the Civil want to War? Win the Civil War, no. Well, I wanted us all to win. I wanted every one of those soldiers to get a participation trophy. Uh, That's not how Civil Wars work. Not any... Well... But today, in today's millennial society, everybody gets a participation trophy for a I civil hope we war. Get another civil war, just to, no. <coughs> I'm coughing on my words. <laughs> um, so they people who had this green glow on their wounds were uh, had a lower mortality rate and uh, increased recovery rate. And so it was just one of these things that they did not have an explanation for it. It was kind of considered at the time that if it were true, there was, uh, like, divine in nature, hence uh, how it got its name, Angel Glow. So this story kind of, they had no real proof for it, so it sort of slipped into folklore because there was just nothing to support this claim. It was an odd claim, and so it disappeared for a while. It was like these lying soldiers. Yeah. So their wounds glowed. Probably just high off swamp gas. Probably just making a story up. Trying to feel special about their war they were in. Mm-hmm. Aw, that's such a sad scene. Civil War, like a Confederate soldier surviving, talking to his grandchildren. They're like, we don't believe you, Grandpa. You didn't fight in the war. I did fight in the war, my grandchildren. No. And as I lay there in the swamps of Shiloh, my wounds began to glow with a kicking rad light. A rad light of justice, of hope, an angel glow. Grandpa's gone the, senile. You're on the wrong side of history, Grandpa. I fought for the Union. I don't understand. <laughs> Why are you kids being so mean? Where have my rad sunglasses gone? I need those to cover my war injuries. Come on, sis, let's get out of here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you believe me, don't you? Wounds. <laughs> so that, that, that sounds like, uh, sounds right, right? That sounds historically accurate. Yeah, that sounds like a little slice of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so what happened is this story kind of just stayed as folklore, um, until 2001, where two, uh, middle school students, or no, sorry, two high school students, uh, as a science fair project, cut themselves open and yes. wandered into the swamps. And laid in the swamps for days, just waiting to try to recreate the effect. <laughs> and a lot of them died, but then two other high school students decided they would take a more scientific approach 
rather than testing on themselves, they decided to just use the uh, 19th century, no, 20th century signs. Okay, okay. So instead of poking themselves with sticks and mud, mm -hmm. they used scalpels and antibiotics. Yes. But they still didn't use the 21st century? Yeah. Well, well it, was, it was 2001. That's true. We got um, some implementation lag there. So, what happened here, or what they believe happened, their hypothesis was that, um, so there are these things, scientismo, called nematodes. And nematodes will feed off of insects. Uh, but certain ones of them have a, uh, a bacteria in them called photo, I guess this is going to take one or two seconds, photorhabdus. Luminescence. One more time. Give me another try. Photohabdus luminescence. A third trinal. Glowing back. Oh, fourth try. <laughs> Photo or habdus luminescence. That's good enough. Yeah, that's good enough. Well, I can see, I think people can see where this story is going. Um, but basically, these nematodes will. Uh, basically infect uh, an insect and actually vomit out this these bacteria. And what these bacteria will do will kill the insect, the nematode feeds off the insect. So the nematode just parties really hard, and bites an insect, and just vomits its beautiful, glowing insides into the insect. I'm pointing at you, because that's exactly it. I see, I see, I see. So some partying nematodes partied too hard during the Battle of Shiloh. And they got really, like, mixed up and started just vomiting their stuff into soldiers. Yep. And this helped. This helped for a few reasons. Uh, one, they, uh, them being lying in these damp swamplands, uh, wounded, getting, like, gangrene and stuff, the, there were insects that were feeding off of these bites. So large clusters of insects were around the wounds. Sure. So these nematodes came... Or the insects and started partying and puking up bacteria. Medically uh, speaking, partying. Partying, yes, that is the <laughs> medical term for it. Um, and started puking up all this bacteria into the insects, and some of it got uh, into the wounds themselves. So, a few more factors come into play. This particular bacteria is also very massive uh, bacteria in that it will uh, destroy competitive bacteria as well. So it'll actually, uh, any bacteria that an insect was carrying on, this bacteria would not only attack the insect, it would attack any bacteria that was being carried into the wound. So wounds, uh, bacteria that causes gangrene or other injuries was getting sniped out. So the bacteria was having its own civil war. <gasps> Captain America civil war bacteria. <laughs> yes, so they, I don't know which side of history the... I'm on the side that Captain America was on. The Anti-Registration yes. Act. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I just think that Iron Man bacteria was wrong to demand registration of all superheroes. Because, he, you know, he's, he's rich. He doesn't understand the man-on-the-ground bacteria. Just doing his best. Trying to make gangrene happen. So you're... Okay, yeah. So you're against the Iron Man bacteria. Yes. Iron Man's the coolest one, though. Please. I... So you're a <clears throat> Iron Man sympathizer? Yes. 
Can't believe it. Looks like we have our own civil war going on. I'm gonna draw a line right down this table. Jackie and the rich, cool guy on one side, and you two losers tearing Iron up Man's registration not, Iron forms. Iron Man's not here. He's not. He's not in this room. Iron Captain Man. America's in this room. Iron Man is here. Captain America is everywhere. The people keep justice in their hearts. Jackie's giving me a very skeptical look across this divided table. Yeah. Even though she just claimed that a rich fictional superhero was behind her. You just can't see him because you don't believe. And our Polar Express. Mm. So he's being played by Tom Hanks in weird CGI. No, no, it's the, the, the handsome guy who did drugs. Tom Hanks in CGI? No, the other one. Bradley Cooper? No, the one, the one who played Iron Man. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis. Mm, handsomer. Oh, Gak Zalifianakis. No idea who that is. He is Zach Galifianakis, but through a funhouse mirror. Oh, okay, really handsomer cut. than that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Hard to believe someone could be handsomer I'm, than I don't know any other celebrities. That's all the ones I know. I've, I've run through them. Maybe we put, maybe we put some of the more celebrities in funhouses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> bacteria civil war going on. Uh, basically, pho- photoluminescent bacteria mm-hmm. that soldiers were seeing at nighttime uh, that was killing bacteria that would have uh, rooted in them as infections, killing off insects that were in these wounds. And so, soldiers started surviving. But here's another caveat. This bacteria uh, can itself be deadly, and it also cannot survive in normal human temperature. But because it was April, so because it was the a, like kind of winter thawing, because the soldiers had been outside for days, so their body temperatures were lower, the bacteria was able to kind of spread on their wounds. But when they got taken to hospitals, their body temperatures warmed up, and it killed the bacteria before it could harm them. That's pretty lucky. And that's how a few people who are now dead lived a few years longer. Well, that, that seems like a really morbid way to close that story, Noel. <laughs> We're all gonna die. Maybe just take another run of that. We're all gonna die. Okay. <laughs> Maybe just, like, don't give our Easter's existential threat. You know, just, just, just like, one, one more time, one more time. Right, one more time. Um, you know, across the vast timeline of the universe, uh, a few soldiers got one extra, managed to squeeze one extra blink out of their feeble lives before they turned into dust. Yeah, I'm gonna just try and do this for you. Okay, so here, here's 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 how like ideally, ideally you might end this story. And so a few soldiers managed to extend their worthless, misbegotten lie. Yeah, this is hard. It is really hard. Wow. So the old man neighbor found joy in the dog. Yeah. Yeah. See, ended like up. Yeah. On an up note, by using the ending of up. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Same ending, both movies. Both movies, yeah. <laughs> All right. Who knew Shiloh and Up had so much in common? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So, anyway, yeah. So, cool little folklore that modern science has proven to maybe be a little bit more factual. So, what's your follow-up question to this story? What should we learn and take away? Um, uh, sometimes, life gives you lemons. Mm. And those lemons attract dangerous insects. Okay. But those insects are being hunted by an elite squadron. 
glowing, glowing cells, single-celled organisms that um, that kill the insects. Yes, and eat your lemons, and so things start to get a little bit better. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. I can, I can take it. I the real takeaway take is that sometimes uh, things happen. They don't necessarily have an explanation until hundreds of years later. So if something weird happens to you today, mm-hmm. couple hundred, write it down, and a couple hundred years from now, two kids in high school will figure out what happened to you. So that's the takeaway. Okay, okay. So uh, what do you think some alternate explanations are for uh, these glowing angel wounds? Oh, infection has made them go crazy. Crazy? Ooh, crazy people. Or at least altered their perceptions, like mm-hmm. seeing visions and flashes of light and things like that. Fever a cra- dreams. A crazy wound opening disco party in their brains. Yep. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say moonlight shining off of all the blood that they're just like, it's glowing. Also partially crazy. Okay. I don't think, yeah, I think just doubling down on crazy town. Madness from their wounds. Okay, okay. Uh, I think it was a trick of vampires to uh, make it so that they didn't realize that they were, you know, sneaking up on them in the swamp and draining their blood. You know, they just they just uh, sprinkled some some uh, they cracked open some glow sticks and smeared it over the open wounds so they wouldn't notice the, the new ones. I think the That's injured cool. men were surrounded by bugs. So they just started swatting at things, uh-huh. and only the slow dumb fireflies got smushed. Okay, um, still and then to glow. <laughs> yeah, when you smush a firefly, it still glows. Keeps glowing. What? Yeah, it's so long. Didn't you ever have really I terrible never... neighbors who would stomp on fireflies? No, and then my neighborhood was great. We caught fireflies and then released them. We never. If had... you stomp on them, you can get a, a glowy smudge oh, on the ground. No. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's like that thing where you like eat uh, like uh, peppermints or something, and they glow in the dark. You just start eating. That's like, right, and then you fireflies <laughs> in your mouth just stuck to, to your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> You just, grin, you just grin a big granite picture. Look at that big, shining, bright smile. <laughs> ah, a glorious young man with a glowing smile. I do it just like, lights uh, his whole face up. <laughs> so that's my theory. Mm-hmm. That's a good theory. I think that I think I'm going to take your theory. I'm going to add to my theory. I think vampires smushed glowing lightning bugs into soldiers' wounds. For fun mm-hmm. and profit. How do they get profit? Because uh, they get the blood, Jackie. Blood is vampire money. Isn't that more vampire food? Ooh. Are they still like in an ancient bartering system for yeah, how they get goods and services? The vampire economy is pretty much food based, if you think about it. What if mosquitoes work for vampires? Oh my god. Oh my god. It all makes oh, sense. It all makes sense. It'd be like they're little tiny, like, vampire dogs. They got them on little tiny leashes, and they take them for walks at night as they walk in the shadows, mm-hmm. unseen by man. Mm-hmm. They send them out to drink people's blood, and they come back, and they, like, take them, and they just, like, squeeze them, like, milk them out into a little jar. Aww. Like, little tiny vampire cows. <laughs> this is adorable. <laughs> Uh, what's your? What would you name your uh, pet mosquito if you were a vampire? Oh, um, mm, uh, I don't know, Buzz maybe. Oh, I was thinking Buzzy or Buzzword. Mm. Buzzword. Buzzword. <laughs> uh, I would probably name mine um, uh, Aldrin. 
Um, yeah, yeah, because then, then the yeah, buzz yeah. would be would be implied. You see, no, yeah, it's not out there, but mm-hmm. like it's in your head. I mean, you think buzz. That's clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're keto. I think that's cute. Oh yeah, that yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's like be that. honest. Oh. A vampire doesn't only have one mosquito, so yeah. we can use all our names. All our names. <laughs> uh, Taquito the mosquito. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Taquito mosquito bandito. <laughs> and you make teeny tiny, teeny tiny guns and like <laughs> a little bandoliers. Bandoliers. <laughs> a tiny little Frito bag. <laughs> <laughs> You keep them in a little Frito bag and you hide it in a store and then someone comes in to buy Fritos and they open the bag and are swarmed by your uh, taquito bandito mosquitoes in a Frito bag. They drain all of its blood and they bring it back to you and you just milk it right out. And you eat some corn chips. You eat some corn chips. It's a thing. This all started from people dying in the mud. So friends, let's talk about Sir Ernest Shackleton. Ooh, a knight. Mm-hmm. He's a knight. Um, he was born February 15th, 1874, in Ireland, the mm. son of a doctor, mm. who, uh... A doctor, no. He's a knight and the son of a doctor. Is he still available? He's still alive? He was not born a knight. What? His birth name was not Sir Ernest Shackleton. No, because he earned it. He earned it. That would be amazing, though, if, she, if he was born and the queen was right there in the room with that tiny little sword and was like, ah! Shackleton. Shackleton. Sorry, guys. I told you the wrong last name oh. earlier. Shacklebolt. Yeah, well, like the uh, character, like from Harry Potter. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> based on the same one. Oh, the baby is gumming at the sword. Oh, I hope you have a backup son. <laughs> I thought this would be the least interesting part of the story. <laughs> No, it's the most interesting. Yeah, you, you thought wrong, Jackie. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, his dad wanted him to become a doctor, but he was not he was not into studying, so he joined the Navy instead. Mm-hmm. In a weird uh, turn of events, he became known as the bookish man in the Navy, even though he wasn't a good student when he, he was on that path. predetermined to be a doctor, no matter what he does, he just is good. It's like, every time there's a wound on the ship, this learned man heals us. I'm not a doctor, guys. <laughs> All I did was I put a band-aid on you, and you think I'm a learned man. Thank you, sir. I've not... Thank you, doctor. All I know, I know the definition of the word uh, fruitful. All right, doctor, you work out in every conversation. I'm not a doctor, I'm a bookish. I don't know how you got this idea. (laughs) Well, he was kind of a zany guy. He would just stand on the deck of a boat and just recite poetry. Okay, now I see how he got that reputation then. While on this journey. Um, so the first time that he went to Antarctica, because this guy, he's a, he's a traveling man, an mm-hmm. adventurer. Um, so his first trip was in 1901. And this expedition was the closest that anyone had got to the South Pole. They didn't get there, but it was the closest anyone Quick had gotten. Quick question. Was, were his expeditions part of his work in the Navy? Was like the Navy actually doing the exploration of the world, or was this something he did independently? Was this, like, his gap year? Um, I am not sure. His Navy gap year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got sick, and they had to turn back. Um, and then in 1908... Should have been a doctor. Should have been a doctor. <laughs> would have been able to make it all yeah. the way. Yes. <laughs> a way out of getting sick. <laughs> So in 1908, he became the leader of an expedition to Antarctica, and the name of his boat was the Nimrod. 
Oh, like the famous hunter. Yes. Because I, I, uh, I looked up the definition of Nimrod, because I was like, why would you name a ship an insult? And it's a famous hunter or an inept person. Mm-hmm. A skillful hunter, inept person. Same I, word. Uh, <laughs> I actually know how that happens. Um, Ooh, so in, it's actually because of the Looney Tunes. So Bugs Bunny in a Looney Tune was being hunted by Elmer Fudd, and he sarcastically referred to him as a Nimrod. Because Looney Tunes actually used to like reference a lot of classical like music and poetry and stuff. Because um, that's where the world was at that point. It was like, what a Nimrod! And then people were like, oh, that must mean a fo- an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, you know, the, 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 the meaning of the, langu- of the word changed because Bugs Bunny insulted a cartoon hunter. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad you knew that story. <laughs> Straight off the dome. <laughs> Um, so in that expedition, they uh, they climbed a mountain. Uh, they still didn't get to the South Pole, but um, so they came back. They went back to Britain, and that's when he was knighted. Oh, mm-hmm. so he was knighted for failing to reach the, the almost South Pole. Story. <laughs> but again, this was it's such a mean thing. If the Queen like went to knight him and just stopped halfway, oh, I almost did this thing for the crowd, but I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, that would suck. Um, but this was this expedition went farther than the last one. So once again, he was as close to the South Pole as people had ever been. Ah. Uh, but then in 1911, a Norwegian named Roald Amundsen. Roald Amundsen. One more stab at that. Roald Amundsen. Maybe he's a Moodsen? There is an end that I have a hard time saying in this word. Okay, okay. Amundsen. Amund. Roll, roll, Roland Atkinson. Sure. Um, so yeah, that guy made it to the South Pole first. Um, but then, not to be outdone, in 1914, Ernest Shackleton, sir, he's a sir now, sir, sir Ernest, Ernest Shackleton, Shackleton, said, I want to do a trans-Antarctic trek. So I will get there and walk across it, was pretty much what he wanted to do. So he, like any any good adventurer, he placed an ad in the local paper to try and find people who would join him on this expedition. And it said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. They were just lining it up around the block for that one. And he got 26 guys. (laughs) Wow. That doesn't sound like that's a full crew of a ship or any expedition. Nonetheless, from that, I feel like that ad would have netted you negative men. Like, he would have left, and his previous expedition would have been erased from history. Yeah, so historians have tried to find this ad because he mentioned this in his autobiography Mm -hmm. that he wrote about this expedition, Uh and they can't seem to find it. Poetic license. They can't seem to find. Probably something more like big money, easy time, fun, fun goodness, very warm, honors guaranteed, (laughs) success definite. (laughs) I imagine it would be more like got nowhere else to go. Need food for two years? Come here, you got nothing else to live for. Hey, are you clinically depressed? 
You hate the sun. We are trying a small trial for people aged 25 to 34 in reasonably good health. <laughs> so I'm here to not see anyone for two years. Maybe you'll die, winky face. Airhorn, airhorn, airhorn. <laughs> that came across in the newspaper ad. <laughs> This was what up. is this contraption? <laughs> what is this noise that trying to make? Uh, mail this ad in along with three pounds to receive air horn to you be used for ending this ad. Um. So on this trip, his boat was called the Endurance, and it was named after his family's motto. Also, how cool that he has a family motto. Um, the motto was. For two dinay vincimus. Vincimus. Vincimus? No, there's no second N. Vincimus. Yes. And it means so, by oh wait, do you know what it means? Yes. By fortitude victory. By endurance, we conquer. And they named the boat Endurance! <laughs> I was close. You were really close. Really close I, took, I took some Latin in high school. I failed some Latin in high school. <laughs> if uh, my Still roommate fell into this day, if my roommate Fui were here, he would correct me on my poor use of Latin. Probably correct the uh, use of Latin in the motto, and then go on a mm, probably a short lecture about Latin and the Roman Empire. Do you want to try that, like right now. Yeah, let's get him in. in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you want to correct some Latin? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. I'm sure none hey, of our listeners know I Latin. Promise that I'm not going to be able to correct anything. Here's our Latin expert and my roommate, David Fui. Hi, how are we all doing? Good. Good. Here, what so is... So we've got Ernest Shackleton's family motto. All right. Uh, Fortudine vincimus. Did I pronounce that correctly? First question. Uh, it's towards the middle of the page. Yep, generally, yeah. Uh, it depends <laughs> yes. on who you ask. Um, some people decide to switch the V's and W's in Latin German style. So, like, Winchimus. Yeah. So, win. So, my interpretation. It's closer. Yeah, so, what, what does that mean? My, my, mine was, uh, by fortitude, we win. Yeah, that, that kind of checks out. Um... You know that that emus is a superlative ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that would be something above all. Okay, okay. So let's hear it. I was wrong, but just barely. <laughs> Fortitude conquers all things. It was by endurance we we conquer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the internet told me. So all right. yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds roughly correct. Now, yeah, <laughs> is your professional opinion yeah. roughly correct? Profession. <laughs> uh, uh, David Philly has here made air quotes. Uh, yes, uh, and now a short lecture on the etymology of mottos <laughs> from David Philly. <laughs> so he is scratching his chin, and now he's scratching his balls. Now he's scratching his tummy. He's using, he's using the blunt ends of a knife and a fork to do the scratching. <laughs> I was eating lunch before they called me in here. <laughs> Let the record show it's 3.45 in the afternoon. Oh, wait, is that late? Shit. Um. 
I have to start getting ready for work in a minute. God damn it, guys. You gotta, you gotta tell us about mottos, man. All right, well, mottos, they began a long time ago. I know that there were some uh, Roman gens who used to have mottos mm-hmm. that they would carve on the, you know, the stuff that they built. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of developed over time as a sort of way for families to kind of let people know what they're all about, what their core beliefs are. What their fun and funky flavor is. Yeah, exactly like that. Those are the precise words that they would have used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Romans loved fun, funky, and flavor. Yeah, those are all things that they loved. Thank you. Finally, someone understands. <laughs> I believe Libby has an entire chapter on that. Sure. Who? Yes. Yes, we all know him. We're all historians in this room. Yes, I mean, I should hope so. <laughs> Is it, isn't this a history podcast, you guys? Here. <laughs> Fooey, it's all in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I direct you to the disclaimer at the beginning of every episode. All right, Fooey has been dragged away, kicking and screaming. Help! Help! Come on, Fooey! No! <laughs> Make sure he finishes his lunch. That is a short interlude with David Fuchia. <laughs> So in 1914, Ernest Shackleton starts out on this expedition, Um, and it should be noted that his entire route was almost entirely uncharted. He and his 26 men hop in their boat, the Endurance, and they're, they're sailing, they're sailing, and winter comes early. They very quickly get surrounded by ice, and then they travel another thousand miles before they get stuck in the ice. So they say, well, looks like we're going to have to wait for spring. So they're in the middle of one of the oceans by Antarctica, um, and they're stuck in the ice. So they say, we're going to make the best of this. We're going to start camping out on the ice in what we call our ocean camp. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to put a positive spin on Camp Ocean. Oh, we better get in our canoe and paddle over to the other side of the ocean. That's where the girls' ocean camp is. (laughs) If a few people went crazy like that and just wandered <laughs> off in the night. Well, that was actually one of their first things that they did was decide, we need to start giving ourselves things to do so we don't go insane and hopeless from living on the ice. Um, so over time, their boat starts to, you know, get crunched up and start being destroyed because it's stuck between giant pieces of ice. Um, So they scavenge from the boat and they make a couple structures and they take take some supplies from the boat. And then I believe it was nine months after the boat got... That seems like too long of a time. One human baby after the boat got stuck in the ice. Got stuck. The boat sank. Oh. The boat sank. Um, So... So they stay there. So Um, sad. They were able to scavenge three of the lifeboats before the Endurance sank. That's, a, that's pretty ironic that yeah. the Endurance didn't have much sank. endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, in order to preserve their sanity, they decided that they were going to do impersonations of famous people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, and then they also had sixty sled dogs. Hold on, hold on. So. I, I don't want to. What, okay, tell me what they do with the sled dogs first. And I, I hope I hope it's they dress them up in beautiful outfits and put on an all sled dog review. Uh, well, they they race the sled dogs and like bet each other like okay. cigarettes and chocolates. Oh, okay, that's also great. Um, I want to know who they impersonated and how. I I'm not sure. Okay, so it's it's nineteen fourteen. Nineteen fourteen. So Charlie Chaplin. 
Charlie Chaplin, um, maybe people from World War One, okay, famous I wanna, World War One figures. No, I want to hear your best Charlie Chaplin impression right now. It's beautiful. It's perfect. He's miming. He's miming quite a lot. Oh, yep. It's because of all the silent movies. The silent movies. <laughs> uh, ooh, all right, Max. I want to hear your Henry Ford impression. Uh, spy Otto. Mobiles. I thought you were going to say five auto-erotic asphyxiation for some dumb reason. Why? You can have... I don't know. You can <laughs> have... He said auto. I thought he was... Uh... Sorry, go on. You can have your balls in any color as long as they're blue. I'm Henry Ford. And I make cars. Good, 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 good. Jackie is regretting associating with me and maybe Noel. Oh, definitely <laughs> I'm angry about it. Um, we gotta get a celebrity for it. Oh, yeah, Jackie. Oh. Um, I want to hear your best Winston Churchill. I was unaware I was a prominent figure in World War I. <laughs> that was very good. That was good. That was. Mm, <laughs> uh, he was asleep for all of the 19 teens. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Uh, so, yeah. so it would be more like this. Beaches, fight. Sunducks. Scars. I look like a baby. More like that. Yep, just yeah. like that. In fact, that was my first Halloween costume as a kid. My parents dressed me up as Winston Churchill. Every baby looks so, like Winston Churchill. Yeah, so I got like a little tiny tuxedo thing, and they got a giant plastic <laughs> cigar for, you know, like just teeth on. Or, yeah. And Noel had a really big head. I had a huge head. My siblings just called me eggplant head. Because there's a picture, there's a picture of me at my parents' house, like uh, probably just like a, maybe the day I was born or a couple of days later, and... I just like uh, my complexion was very red for some reason, and so still is. Let the record show that Noel is weeping freely and openly. <laughs> um. Yeah. So they called me because of my giant red face. I still have today, but I'm not mad about it. So who, what else did they do? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the so I went back to check the time frame, and they were stuck on the ice for ten months, uh, because it was an early winter, so... I, well, I got a question about these, this dog sledding race stuff. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, this was... This just, was before they ate the dogs for survival. Oh, no, no, I figured, I figured. <laughs> I figured that was coming down the line, but, um... So... I imagine they were rationing their food. Does that mean they, like, these, this sounds like very high stakes wagering for these dog races if you're betting, like, I assume you have limited food socks, and so you're starting to bet on these dogs. Like, you're betting candy bar, like the cigarettes you want to eat, but yeah. the candy bars, like. You're wasting all the calories these dogs need to run. Where in a So they can't run away across the ice. Maybe they had an understanding that at the end everyone gets their shares back, but you know they wanted something to enjoy during the day. Oh, okay, of share. I thought you meant shares of dog meat, but I think you mean like of rations. Oh, could you imagine if they made the poor little doggies race and then the losers they ate? Yes. Well, the yeah, it's 
Probably eat the losers. It'd probably be the fattest one. Jackie, this is usually your catchphrase on Anachronismo, but that's so sad. I mean, we don't know if that happened. <laughs> it was just so from it was my doggy, imagination. It was a doggy death race. Yeah. Oh my god, it was... Logan's run, but Logan is dogs, and it's not a future, and it's very different from the movie. Yeah, yes, all of those all differences, of those. and more. Oh, do you think the dogs knew? Oh, I don't know. They probably did. It's the most bummed out I've ever seen you, Jackie. Well, let's let's get to happier things. So when the boat sank, they were like, we need to do something or we're screwed. Um, so they got on those three lifeboats, and they rode um, 1,300 kilometers, or 16 days, on the open water in the most stormy ocean in the world. <laughs> they faced hurricane-strength winds, 50-foot waves, and they were on, uh, you know, open lifeboats. So they were just getting covered in water and had to bail out their boats. And they were probably getting frozen by that water, too. Mm-hmm. They probably looked like dudesicles. Yeah. Total dudesicles. Yeah, that guy's a total dude to go. Yep. Those thick Californian accents. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total dude to <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I, I messed up the story. The they dogs t- all lived? No. The, the dogs. dogs. Oh. The dogs were eaten. Um, so... <laughs> the business left down. So when... All the doxicles. All the doxicles got froze, dude. Yo, doxicle, you want some doxicle? Oh, you're froze. Oh, I'll just have it. I'll, oh. just, I'll just place it against your mouth gingerly. Tink, 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 tink. <laughs> so, all 26 guys hopped into the three lifeboats, and I'm sorry, they didn't go, um, 1,600 miles. They only went 100 miles. Um, and then some people were, you know, you know, almost dying from Mm. this, this thing. Mm. So the six bravest men all hopped onto their life, uh, their one lifeboat that was in the best condition. And only those six men were the ones who rode, um, for 17 days in the world's stormiest ocean. What happened to the other 20? They waited on... They waited on, on the Elephant Island. Oh. No, so they, they rode 100 miles. miles to Elephant Island. Okay. okay. And then a bunch of the guys stayed there. Six guys said, well, we have to go, you know, a lot of kilometers, <laughs> 1,200 kilometers. Well, bye. Hope those impressions keep you warm. <laughs> yeah, basically. So they go across, they go across the world's stormiest ocean, and they make it. They make it to South Georgia Island. And then they say, thank God we made it, but the only people here are on the other side of the island, on the opposite side of a mountain range. Let's hike. <laughs> so they hike for 36 hours across the mountain range. They're also, you know, tired, cold, basically emaciated. Yeah. They're like killing seals or anything they can find to eat because they're all at a dog. Just walking skellingmans. Pretty much. Um... But they made it. Okay, they're all out of dog. That is the saddest sentence. Oh my god, that is pure Hemingway and its sadness. But they made it. Like, hey, what do you have over there, Marcus? Oh. Are you, do you have a dog now? <laughs> <laughs> You've been bogarting that dog. So, oh. yeah, after they 
they uh, hike these 22 miles and make it to the whaling station. Um, <laughs> the whaling station has closed down once before. Oh, that would be so sad. Uh, but Gone for the winter, guys. <laughs> be back later. <laughs> so they were like, we need to go back and get the rest of our crew. So uh, three unsuccessful attempts at rescue later, they finally make it after four months back to these guys who were on Elephant Island, who are sad and, you know, cold and starving. Um, and they get there, and the the article that I read said the island was so desolate, even the penguins left because the weather was so bad. So these guys were surviving by eating snails. They were peeling snails off rocks and eating those. Eating a little snails. French cuisine, all right, not mm-hmm. bad, not bad. But some people pay hundreds of dollars. They got it for free. Yeah. Oh. Slurping that snail down. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> the They're end- in a shell. They are. Oh. They are. <laughs> I would have called it bind pasta because they're in a bind. That type of pasta? No. Okay. That's when you have spaghetti and you tie it. You tie someone down with the spaghetti. Well, spaghetti knots. Hello, we are Spaghetti Knots, and we're here to play some punk music. Um, so they rescue the rest of the crew, and no one died. Believe it or not. I don't believe it. Well, believe it. Those dogs all died. Yeah, I mean, if this guy already lied about his advertising, he probably lied about how many people made it back. To, yeah, only 26 people. Only 26. That was a 200-person boat. Only 26 people. We, we all made it. All made it. Mm. Um, and then, you know, our friend, Ernest Shackleton, he hasn't scratched that itch. He still wants to explore Antarctica. So he goes on another expedition in January of 1922. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Ernest Shackleton died of a heart attack on South Georgia Island, the one that he had gone to for I'm rescue. A doctor. He never made it to South America, South Antarctica again. South Pole, Antarctica. Well, I mean, of all the ways that he should have died... Heart attack was not on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should have been in great shape. Yeah, man, you could pile the man out of a cannon into a wall and he'd just walk away. Yeah. Unless his heart failed mid-flight. Um, yeah, that's one of the greatest adventure survival stories I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the uh, celebrity impression, the like amateur comedy <laughs> hour on the ice. <laughs> and it said that the, the men who were left on the island... Um, and didn't travel or whatever. The way they kept themselves sane was that they huddled together under the two lifeboats that were left and just sang songs Aww. to stay sane. B I N G Don't stop singing. <laughs> you stop singing, you turn to cannibalism. Where is my finger? Oh. Was a sailor, stomach. had a dog, and dinner was his name. Oh, don't dwell on the dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, how would you keep yourself sane? Ooh, what would you do to pass the time? I'd do to pass the time. Probably a lot of hot hopscotch. Hopscotch. Mm. Scotch. Keeps you, keeps your body warm. Keeps mm-hmm. your mind warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd play a lot of board games. No, just no, no goofs there. I just play a bunch of board games. I don't like, think they had board games. You can make a lot of simple board games out of pretty simple stuff. Especially if you're scavenging wood from a ship and you have tools to work it. You can make chess, tack, backgammon. I don't think anything that needs dice because it's hard to make a balanced die, but you know. You can probably make it out of ice. 
An ice dice? Mm-hmm. Mm. Ice dice. Ice dice. Well, how would you keep yourself safe? LARPing. <laughs> but like LARPing that you're finding the North Pole instead. Like literally these people oh. are imagining being as far away as geographically possible. Same conditions. It yeah, we're going to find the North side. Pole and just go home. It's not as far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brutal. A lightning bolt. A lightning bolt. <laughs> Hit me with a lightning bolt so I can die. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Imagine what fire was like. That would have kept you busy. For a while. <laughs> For a while. They must have run out of stuff to burn. Right? They're stuck there? Probably while that ship sank. Yeah. And, and they also rode a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that must have been chilly. Chilly billies. They couldn't have taken wood with them. On these lifeboats. Probably were huddling together for warmth. As well as song. Song warmth. You know, singing those singing songs like Disco Inferno. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's the only heat really. Getting hot in here. Getting hot in here. Burning Ring of Fire. Burning Ring of Fire, yeah. Mm-hmm. All, all period appropriate songs. <laughs> it sure I is hot in my imagination. <laughs> you know what music I would have sung to keep myself warm? No. No. What? Firebird from Stravinsky's Rites of Spring. Which caused a riot. Ooh, do tell. So, Igor Stravinsky uh, was an incredibly popular um, composer of the time. Uh, and in, on, in May of 1913, mounted the first production of his composition, The Rites of Spring. There had been noise a few weeks before at the premiere of Dolovsky's uh, Ballet, uh, critics heaped abuse on the choreographer, Vaslav Nijinsky. He had, he had uh, also now choreographed The Rites of Spring. He was a very controversial choreographer because he used jerky, heavy motions, the complete opposite of classical ballet, to sort of show a connection to the earth rather than a soaring to the heavens. People thought that paired with the Russian primitivism or modernist cheek, depending on who you asked, uh, was the epitome of The Rites of Spring. Picture the scene. The top of society was there. Monocles on face, top hats perched, beautiful furs and pearls, pearls and furs. And from the first bassoon, there was tension in the air. Now, uh, operas back then aren't the sort of way we picture them now. People, they were just very social events. Uh, and people would talk to each other during the opera, which you know, now is the height of fucking rudeness. But from the first bassoon... The composer Camille saint Sienz exclaims, If that's a bassoon, then I'm a baboon. That's amazing. Wait, the conductor said this? A, a, another composer did. Oh, who was another. there seeing the, the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think he had that line sort of, worked out? Or, uh, probably. The bassoon was like playing at the, high, like the top of its range. Like in, yeah. in, in, in a key that like no bassoon ever played in for most uh, operas or, or compositions. What language did he say that in? I don't know. I forgot to check. I'm going to assume English because that is how the, where the pun works best. Yes. The tension was there from the very first bassoon, but it wasn't until the Firebird Ballet when the curtains rose on ballerinas in heavy masks and wigs doing jerky, jumping, thudding motions that the riots began. The audience erupted into two factions, 
So one loved it. The other hated it, was booing, was throwing vegetables. The orchestra was reportedly showered by rotten vegetables and small objects. People bring vegetables just in case? Yeah, that was, again, theater culture... This kind of social event. <laughs> yeah. Theater culture has changed enormously in the past hundred years. People used to bring stuff to throw all the time in case it was bad. Or if they thought it was going to be bad, they'd come prepared. It's sort of like how now we bring, like, a... a, a a blogger would bring their phone and, like, fucking live blog how much they hate something, you know. Mm. Except with things that can hurt people. Mm. Well, hurt them in a physical way. Physically, rather than just words. Yeah. So this dissonant chord, this pulsing rhythm, and this strange, jerky choreography uh, met. It's speculated that what, like, offended or delighted, depending, the upper crust, was the notion of a primitive society being shown on stage. Stravinsky's Rites of Spring follow roughly the story of Koshke the Deathless, which is a classic Russian fairy tale about an immortal king who hides his heart in a box, in a goose, in a chest under the sea, and cannot be killed until it is pierced. And the the Firebird is all about the selection of a young woman to sacrifice herself to Koshke the Deathless, who will marry and then kill her. Yeah. So the performance continued through the ends, and received at least one ovation. But during the performance, upwards of 40 people were arrested. (laughs) Just keep going. Blows were thrown, and at least one person was challenged to a duel. Did they duel there? They were challenged. I God, I, I hope so. Can you imagine how fucking... Theatrical, how beautiful that would be. Just two dudes with swords or pistols, you know, your, your flavor, stalking each other through an opera going on around them would be. I would hate to be like the people in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys. Uh, uh, don't Please don't duel above our seats. For people who love the shows, mm-hmm. what did they bring? So they didn't throw anything, but they attacked the people who were throwing things. I would like to think a better countermeasure would have been that they brought fresh vegetables and started throwing them at the Trying to knock the rotten vegetables out of the air. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, that was not the case. So yeah, uh, reviews included the work of a madman, sheer cacophony, from Puccini himself. Of this. Yeah. And, um... A laconic work of sheer, uh, I believe, I can't quite read my hand right here, idiocy, sheer idiocy, <laughs> uh, was one of them. So people didn't like it. But, you know, now the Rites of Spring have gone on to become one of the most well-regarded and well-known uh, operas in history. Mm. Yeah. You've probably heard it uh, on the radio or somewhere. You gotta do your best impression. No, that's the planets from a different thing. I'm going to just edit it in. <laughs> oh, whoa. Oh, whoa, I hear that all the that. time. Yeah, beautiful. Wow, that... Um, Do it again. Oh, it's even better the second time. There we go. And there were just subtle variations to it, so that mm-hmm. the second time you did, like, it was the same tune, but it was, like, definitely not the same sound. Mm-hmm. So there have been some speculations that Stravinsky, did, if, intended, if not for a riot, then for definite controversy. Because at the time, well, first of all, you know, he was doing this whole modernist thing, these pulsing rhythms, using instruments in the way they hadn't been used. He hired the most controversial and talented choreographer of the age, and he put in a ballet. Yeah, he was looking to start a fight. Yeah. Ballets, and I, ballets were basically the topless scenes 
of operas at the time. Like, in a teen movie now, a topless scene is the equivalent of a ballet in an opera then. Huh. Yeah. Got all the people rowdy. Huh. This is yeah. so weird to think about. <laughs> right? Weird to think of operas as being rowdy affairs. That's my story. Nice. Shorter than I thought it would be. That's okay. Because um, mine was real long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Parts I thought weren't interesting turned out to be interesting. <laughs> the moment he was born. So if you were to... This almost sounds like he was channeling the producers. <laughs> like, can I make something that's deliberately going to make people mad? Mm-hmm. And then he did. Yeah. But it becomes successful and he loses out of whatever, whatever scheme he had going on. He was just trying to provoke controversy, you know? Just trying to change the nature of the, the discourse, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I do want to say that those 40 arrests, it sounds like a very high number, and it is. But at the time, police were regularly in attendance at operas because, you know, to, to keep the peace. What the heck Some were the operas like? Game, this pretty is much crazy. Like, operas were rowdy so events where people talked, chatted, got very drunk. Uh... Spent a lot of money and... Yeah. It's like a baseball game. Shit, like yeah. a football game. Yeah. It's just like, all right, buddy, get out of here. All right. All Let right. the opera go on. We want a tenor, not a belly spanner. <laughs> you call that a bassoon? More like a baboon. All right, that's it. You're arrested. <laughs> so, um, what would you throw? Ooh, if you like didn't like something. Just, I mean, this doesn't have to be a rotting vegetable, but what would you throw at someone to let them know you didn't like what they were doing? Uh, I would throw a paper airplane, which unfolds into a letter with a, uh, a severely worded criticism of their, uh, of their piece of theater. Mm. That hurts. Mm. That would hurt. What hurts the most is how well-considered it is. Mm-hmm. It's like you tried to be fair, mm-hmm. and they still were lacking. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going through. I'm still stuck in the vegetables. Just going through those right now before I eggplant. Um, you throw your own head. No. You throw your own shut head up, as, dude. as a baby. Yeah, or just an eggplant with a head. <laughs> oh yeah, I know this guy. He does this to everybody. Oh, that's Noel. That's Noel. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, comes to every show. I got the Noel head, huh? All right. Bad luck. <laughs> Jackie, what would you throw? Um, waiting for Noel to come up with his real answer. Now, this isn't honest, but I thought it worked best with the theme of our episode. Uh-huh. Um, I'd probably throw a slightly rotting chunk of dog that I had saved for myself for later. Oh, poor... What breed of dog? What part of dog? Sled dog. What part? The dick? <laughs> it was... So, the she, yeah, she not as the dick. dick. <laughs> it's the rotting dog, dude. Oh, man. That's, no. No, I wouldn't actually do this. Okay, I thought, but then you throw the I thought it was a good thematic joke. But. <laughs> Rotting dog butt. I'd have to be stranded in the Arctic for nine months to want to eat this rotting dog dick. Your performance reminds me of how I was stranded and had to eat this very dog. I would probably... All right, no, the thing I would throw would probably be the script. Transcript of what I thought was a better play. <laughs> <laughs> Not the actual script, but what play you've seen and recorded because yes, you were enjoying it so much. 
<laughs> you hired a stenographer to come to the play with you. You'll, you'll need to know Pittman's shorthand to understand it, but you'll get there. But you just hide her in like a big soda can. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so I, I'm sorry, sir. We don't allow outside food and drinks. Uh, this is a medical giant soda. <laughs> medical <laughs> medical man sized soda. Because uh, cameras weren't invented yet, so you need to smuggle in your recording devices other ways. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I think you're gonna pirate this play. What? No, I. I can tell. There's a little hole in that can. <laughs> there's a. There's a young woman just entering the job market in that can. <laughs> you know, women with their limited, limited career opportunities. So most of them are stenographers <laughs> or secretaries. Yeah, that's yeah. a. Yeah, that's historically one in accurate that can. for this period. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You and, never said a year. I have no idea oh, what year uh, this is. Oh, I, I throw her to a jail cell with a bunch of other giant soda cans. It was uh, 1913 on the 29th of May. Oh. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. That was just a few months before Sir Ernest was. Mm-hmm. He's probably having a prepping. great time. <laughs> prepping. I do have one last note about this. Yes. Ooh. So, obviously, there was a huge uproar about all this, but none of the people in attendance left any record of what it exactly was upset them so much. Which, from a modern perspective, is crazy. The internet would be flooded with think pieces of, why, here's why I rioted at this new play. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was one of those things where, like, the way the sound was, it just made people go crazy. It brown noted them. Everybody poop their pants. This has been a blue episode. <laughs> it it infrasounded them. They all saw ghosts. Because infrasound makes your brain vibrate all weird. Makes you see hallucinations. They all saw people coming and attacking them. Yeah. That'd throw, that'd throw fruit. Maybe. They all, then they all poop themselves. <laughs> it was so discordant. They were like, I'm throwing this tomato, but I don't mean to. Don't mean to. My body's moving on its own because of the right of spring. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like a witchcraft thing, to be honest. Mm. The right of spring. The rights of spring, the rights yeah. Of spring. It's like an, there's an equinox around then. Mm-hmm. I should, we, we should that's, check our. That's a witch thing. Check our almanac before going to any sort of opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's why Ben Franklin made the first almanac to make sure people wouldn't go to operas and get totally freaked. For all those farmers at those operas. Yeah. And farmers get culture. They get it. Touring companies. Yeah. 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 So now it's time for everyone's favorite portion of the show. What if they had met? What if they had met? What if these two people had met? What if they had met? What if they had met? What if they had met? They met. What if they had met? What if they had met? What if they had met? What if they had <laughs> I think they would have enjoyed it. Uh, and they would have gotten pretty rowdy. And they would have come back and be like, hey guys, we can just fucking riot at operas. 
Did you know that? Let's bring it back. <laughs> bring it back. I'm so excited for the school to do the production of Grease next month. Oh my god, I'm gonna fucking take my switchblade. I'm gonna challenge someone to a duel. I'm gonna bring some cattails covered in nematodes. Yeah. I'll heal you as you get beat. I'll stab you, then I'll swoosh these cattails over your wounds. Science fair is awesome. <laughs> I love to learn because knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah, these 2001 students turned into these weird 1950s kids as they travel back to 1913. Look, time travel's dangerous. It's, it's always it's causing a, yeah. a paradox. And, uh, trends are circular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, if you look at uh, the the swing revival in the early 2000s. That was probably caused by time travel. Yeah, uh, flare pants. Mm-hmm. Have come back in this past year. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're just about to re-enter the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, uh, let's not all forget the pirate craze. People are being pirates everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what if Igor Stravinsky had gone on the doomed expedition? I think the songs would not have kept them all safe. <laughs> <laughs> They would have eaten. No, I think they would have put on a hell of a show for those penguins <laughs> that immediately leave. They're like, oh, what? Why? What? Whoa, come on. The penguins start riding, throwing, throwing rotting, rotting fish and stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine two penguins oh, dueling? Du- yeah. Oh. <laughs> they just waddle ten uh, steps. Waddle ten steps and they just start, start using their flippers to just slap each other wildly. But they like jump on their stomachs to get closer. <laughs> Oh, they jump on themselves, they, they play chicken until they, like, ram into each other, and then they kiss. And then a couple of cop penguins, like little penguins with cop hats, <laughs> slide in and break them up. <laughs> they probably keep trying to put handcuffs on them, they keep falling off their flippers. They're like, we really should have designed something better for our species. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so cute. cute. <laughs> what if Edward Shackleton had been a... Um, sh- Ernest? Ernest Shackleton. What if Ernest Shackleford? Sir Ernest Shackleton. Ernest goes to the (laughs) Antarctic. What if... uh, Right. What if... Oh, no, I did one. It's your turn, Jackie. Oh, um, okay. Wait, I did one. Oh, we did one? Yeah, what okay. if what if the teens, oh, teens went to an opera? I did one, so... It's up to you, Noel. All up, all on you. I'm trying to think, because there just wasn't any actual, like, characters in mind, so I'm just trying to think. Who do you... Th- well, this is not... What do you met? Who do you think it had it... Well, no, that's... Who do you think had it worse? The, the people who were Probably in the, the people swamp stranded for two days, in so The people stranded in the Antarctic for nine more than nine months. They were only camping on the in the ocean oh, camp for nine months. Oh, right. Then mm-hmm. they spent another four months stuck on um, Elephant Island. Yeah. So. Where oddly, no elephants. What do you think? Stra- Stra- they would Stravinsky, break the ice. Stravinsky. They what can't do you think float. Stravinsky could have put together with the dogs, the sled dogs. Like, what kind of show? <laughs> like a bunch of little dogs and like little tutus trying to balance on their hind legs. Mm. I think he would have put on a radically modernist piece uh, on the true nature of dog. Ooh. Yeah. Where the dogs are people. And the people are sled animals. And the dogs would make the people race and then eventually have to eat them. And they, oh, man. Ah! Flip the script on them. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
I like it. Stravinsky does nothing if not challenge conceptions. Who is man's best friend? And then the opera is packed with people who hate it and dogs who love it. <laughs> it's just a huge all-out brawl between the dogs and the people. Good. Good. Good and great. Good and great. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for us this week on uh, Anachronismo. If you want to contact us, you can contact us at, at, on Twitter at, at ANAC Podcast. Uh, you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. Uh, if you if you if you like the show, please uh, rate it, review it. It's really helpful to us to uh, you know have people say they like it and encourage people to listen. Next week, we're going to have Amancio Lopes. Amancio Lopes uh, is our guest host. <laughs> I maybe I don't know if I'll edit this out or not, but there is a little uh, thing that I think I've told you at work. Sometimes, if uh, me and my coworkers are talking about some arbitrary historical fact like they're just dumb bizarre questions i always like feel i'm always like you know i got a friend who's a history major i'll get him and so i just message him on to and ask him this dumb bonkers question that he always gives such an honest answer <laughs> hold on a second let me actually uh i could pull one up real please quick. do uh what was the last one that i asked him yeah, if you have any bonkers historical questions please write into the show with them mm-hmm. and we will do our best to answer them poorly um, yeah, the last question I asked him was, Matsio, no, record time, got a history question for you. What is the origin and significance of the black and red shirts for Lumberjacks? And then he said, you know, I couldn't tell you. Have you tried asking an environmentalist? Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, let's see, the black and the red. We already know the answer. What? I'm, let me see if I can get there. The black and the red was a way of describing uh, the clergy versus the army, which were two ways of moving your station up in the world. Mm -hmm. So if you weren't born into prominence, um, you had to choose either one of those paths. Right. And the lumberjacks decided to go a third way, but they honored the other two. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they said, I will increase my station through the might of my arm, but not by killing men, by killing trees. Mm -hmm. And I will help others, but not spiritually, but by providing them with trees. Mm -hmm. And so they wore these black and red checkers to show that they were on a third path that combined the two. Um, My guess is that it was was just a pattern that became popular because the shirts were most widely distributed by a single company that just used two different yarn blends that happened to be very popular. Uh, I don't know if it was because the red and black were good contrast or the red contrasted with the green, but that, that's my speculation. <laughs> sure, I, sure, no. That right. I previously verified. Wait, you found out that's true? Yes. Let the record show that that's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you in two weeks' time here on Anachronismo! Anachronismo.